Hello and welcome to episode 142 of the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. This is the thing I think is phenomenally important. We're educating Google. Google isn't this, from this perspective at least, it's not this big nasty machine that we're fighting with. It's a child that we're educating and we're educating it to who we are, what we do, and who our audience is. Hello, my name's Ian Anderson-Gray, and in this episode of the Confident Live Marketing Show, we're talking about brand SERPs and how to boost them. We've got a special guest on the show. Jason Barnard will be with you just after this. Welcome to the Confident Live Marketing Podcast with Ian Anderson-Gray. Helping you level up your impact, authority, and profits through the power of confident live video. Optimize your mindset and communication and increase your confidence in front of the camera. Get confident with the tech and gear. And get confident with the content Content and marketing. marketing. Together, we can go live! Well, hello. Welcome to episode 142 of the Confident Live Marketing Show. Time moves really fast and welcome if you're watching live, watching the replay, or if you have plugged us into your ears and listening to the podcast. The podcast, by the way, comes out every Friday. You can find out more about it at iag.me forward slash podcast. You can subscribe or the the new word, of course, is follow in your favorite podcasting app, whether that is Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or Spotify. All of that information is at iag.me forward slash podcast podcast. And of course, this show goes live usually every Tuesday and Thursday. But unfortunately, last week I decided to catch COVID. So I was in bed all week, which was okay because I actually hadn't actually planned any live shows last week anyway. So that was fortunate. Is that the right word? Probably. Anyway, in today's show... I'm very excited to be talking with my special guest today, Jason Barnard, about SERPs, brand SERPs. What on earth are those, you might be asking? We're going to kind of go into the magical world of SEO and Google and all this kind of stuff. And we're going to look at how you can actually boost those. This is all to do with search results, but we'll be digging a little bit deeper into that. And how does live video fit into all of this? Well, it's time to bring in my special guest today, who is none other than Jason Barnard, who is known as the Brand SERP Guy, and is a digital marketer who specializes in brand SERP optimization and knowledge panel management. But Jason has also variously been a musician, a screenwriter, a songwriter, and a cartoon blue dog. Welcome to the show, Jason. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much, Ian. I'd just like to say how very good you are at the production aspect of all this. It's absolutely astonishing. Oh, well, thank you, Jason. I, I have to say, I do enjoy, I, I love what I do, and it's it's great fun. <laughs> so, and, and that makes that makes us too, really, because uh, you love what you do. But I'd love to know, you're living in Paris. People probably would be confused slightly because your accent isn't very Parisian. But uh, tell us a little bit more about your background. How did you... Uh, get into what you're doing today because you've got uh, we've got a lot in common you know you, you've got a musical background you're very creative and now what you're doing is actually quite techy I mean it's quite geeky and nerdy um, but I'm sure you would agree there's also a creative side to what you're doing now so tell us a little bit more about how you got into what you're doing yeah I mean I, I think the the creative side of, of kind of brand SERPs at least knowledge panels but even SEO is probably underestimated and just to be clear, brand search means the search engine results page for a search on your brand. But yeah, I mean, I started off in music in Liverpool, 
played the Cavern Club where the Beatles famously played, but um, obviously that doesn't make me a better musician, but it's cool. <laughs> Um, then moved to Paris, played another band, playing double bass. I was a blue dog in a cartoon. And now I'm doing this thing at the bottom, which is Caddy Cube, which is my company. And we specialize, as you said, in uh, brand setup optimization and knowledge panel management. And the knowledge panel is the thing that appears on the right-hand side for some brands when you search for their brand name. And it, I think the mixture, as you said, with tech, geek, data, and creativity makes for a really, really enjoyable job. It is. I, I, I love that combination. I, I, I'm just interested because I don't know whether you had this, but I had a bit of a kind of an identity crisis because I've got a musical background. I, tr- I trained as a professional classical singer, but I was also fascinated by science and technology. And I got, fell into social media, I wrote a blog and I was still teaching singing, but I was talking about social media and then live video came about. And I was thinking like, who on earth am I? Like, I mean, what do I, what do I say I am? <laughs> you know, um, and I had this epiphany moment with live video because I think it brings together the technology and my interest in science together really well with performance and creativity and all that kind of stuff. I'm just interested. Did did you have a similar kind of thing? How do you, in your brain, cope with the creativity side of things? Your musical background, your creative background, and brand serps and the, the whole tech side of things when it comes to your identity. Well, I think kind of all of those different things bring different aspects to kind of what's going on. I mean, the the musical career made me confident in front of people, in front of cameras, giving talks, uh, and made me less complexed about my appearance or how I sound or my voice, which is commonly something people have a problem with. Um, After recording albums and doing the cartoon where I did the voiceover for The Blue Dog, you don't like your voice to start with and the more you listen to it the more you just accept it i mean um would i say i like it now i think i actually do most of the time and i think the same thing is true of being on video because obviously with the blue dog i wasn't on screen and it took me a little bit of time to get used to seeing myself but once again when you kind of force yourself to go through that you end up uh, getting more confident and or less aware, less complex about how you look and how you sound. And then the Blue Dog and Yellow Koala was interesting because it was it was on the internet and then moved over to, to TV with ITV International. And the internet side of things, and in fact making the TV series, really forced me to think outside the box to try and figure out how to do all this stuff with very limited budgets. And also I moved to Mauritius to do that. Mauritius is an island off Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. And I moved there in 2000 with my wife. And we, I thought, we can just make a cartoon on the web. We'll find the people to help me do that uh, for the technical aspects when I get there. And it hadn't occurred to me that a tiny island in Africa of a million people doesn't, or especially in 2000, doesn't have the trained staff. I mean, and I actually couldn't find anyone to do the tech stuff. So I just had to learn it uh, on the hoof. And we ended up with 5 million visits a month, 100 million page views a month. And I was running the server, writing the code, dealing with a database. And, you know, every time it collapsed, the kids would get, you know, you've got kids aged up to six years old and they would get incredibly frustrated and the parents would write very rude emails, understandably, (laughs) because they were frustrated. And, yeah, I mean, you understand. I mean, when your kid your kid doesn't understand, you can't explain to them, you know, that poor guy in Mauritius has had a problem with his server. And the kids go, I don't 
A, I don't know what a server is. B, I don't know who the guy in Mauritius is because I'm looking at a real blue dog. And C, I don't care all my games, which is fine. That's how kids are. And so it was basically kind of getting the things back up and working. And uh, that's what brought me into the geeky side. And I think, interestingly, because I was also writing the script, it brought the whole kind of creativity and geeky thing together, which has now allowed me to carry on. So I don't think I had that identity crisis. It kind of crept up on me over years. That's great. Yeah, it kind of is a, a slow thing and you just you just kept on going, which is great. And I, isn't a server somebody who serves you your food in a, in a restaurant? I mean, that's <laughs> oh, yeah, I, our office got robbed and the police came around and said, I don't understand why you've got somebody serving coffee in your office. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, it is indeed. But actually, it's, it's a computer that serves the, the website, yeah, of which course. is why it's called a server. <laughs> Sorry, I'm explaining it for the audience in case they I know, don't. No, really. no, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. We don't want to kind of uh, assume that everyone knows what we're talking about. Is the, is the blue dog still out there? Can we still um, find and watch blue dog? Yeah. Um, yeah, you can find him on YouTube uh, with a yellow koala, his, his best friend, the yellow koala, who the yellow koala was my ex-wife. Um, and we had a great time. They were best friends, and you can find all 52 episodes of the TV series, plus some games, plus some songs. Uh, I ended up writing 96 songs for children, Um, and that, once again, is that kind of, uh, I think we'll probably talk about it later, is the consistency is that we said to the kids and the parents, we will have a new game, an animation, a new song, and a craft activity every single month on the first day of the month. And so sometimes on the kind of 29th of the month, I'd be going, oh, I haven't got a song. And I'd have to write a song uh, in a day and then record it and get it up and animated. And it was mm. kind of stressful. But it's a really good exercise in forcing yourself to do things when, A, you don't think you can, or B, like today, you know, you think, oh, I could just cut out because I've got a bad eye. But just thinking, no, I said I'd do it, I'll do it. Uh, yeah, I think that's so important. Consistency is really important. We can come up with all these excuses. And, you know, if you're, if you've just joined us, I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, you will not know this, but Jason is um, looking like he's been through the wars. He's had a, an operation on his eye, which didn't go quite so well. But anyway, you've turned up mm. and that is the important thing. So many of us can come up with, with those excuses. And, and I went, I didn't go live for a whole month because I was worried about my background not being quite as good as some other people I was looking at. I was, And then I just realised what I was doing. I was being selfish, actually, um, because there were, my audience were out there wanting to hear from me. And I wasn't delivering that content. So sometimes I think we can get too self-obsessed. Have you done yeah. much in the way of live video? I know you've done a lot of video, um, but have you delved into the live video world? I'm just interested in, in what you think about live video. Yeah, well, um, I did a lot. Well, I, I actually didn't do much video. I did the, the Blue Dog and the Koala, but that's kind of, that's animation. I was kind of helping with the, the I was script writing and helping with the direction and the editing. And then moved into, started doing video just before COVID hit. And I was going around from conference to conference, grabbing people, not literally, obviously, but getting them to give an interview <laughs> about a topic. <laughs> yeah. Somebody would be speaking about something, an expert. Brad Geddes is my favorite example, because he was talking about why Microsoft will never close Bing. And I just said to him, stop talking. And he looked really shocked. And I said, because I want to do an interview, and I don't want to know what you're going to tell me. And he really kindly did the interview. And... That was really good fun, going from conference to conference, doing these interviews with totally unexpected people in totally unexpected situations on video. And then I would edit them down and release them. And then with COVID, 
I realized that couldn't carry on. So I started doing live video with Anton Schulke, who was here early on, who helped me enormously with all the kind of technical aspects, the production aspects, getting it all set up. Um, and now I've done 82 live streams for my own show and probably about 300 webinars and appearances as a host or as a, an expert speaker. Wow. That's that's. That's a lot in in a fairly short period of time uh, to do that number. And what have you what have you learned from your experience of that? And do you think you've improved quite a bit since that first one? Right. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, sorry, just to be yeah. clear to people who are good at maths, uh, the three hundred actually started before COVID. Right. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it would have been really ridiculous. But <laughs> what was interesting is that I kind of I wasn't that good. I mean, I, I thought I was brilliant. Um, well, brilliant. Let's not exaggerate. I thought I was pretty good. And I actually watched a couple of them the other day out of interest, intrigue, to see how much I'd evolved. And the answer is a lot. Um, and I think that's really important, is especially I was saying get used to yourself on screen, get used to your own voice, but also realize that those first ones aren't going to be great. And you're going to get better and better and better, and it's going to be progressive, and you won't notice. And then one day you're going to look back at those original ones and think, yeah, that wasn't very good. And then look at the new ones and say, actually, yes, that is good, or oh, hopefully. And, and whatever, whatever happens, I think you're always going to improve if you look at what you've been doing and you think about not what did I do wrong, what could I have done better? And if you yes. take that positive attitude, which sounds a bit American and rubbish, but um, <laughs> it, it really is. I, I actually watched all of my shows back afterwards and spent the thing saying, what, what could I have done better here? Mm. Um, and that improved me a great deal. So it made me get used to myself as a person looking at me, my own voice, and helped me to learn to get better. And I hope now I am better but I, i'm sure i'll get better over time still oh, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I don't think there's a ceiling I, I i think you're right i think you're right and actually if you want to be encouraged do look back at your first ever live videos because they probably weren't great you know i look back at mine oh my goodness they're, they're kind of awful and you do improve and it is um a good thing one thing if you if you're really really I know squeamish is that the right word of looking at yourself then look at look at the videos with somebody because you're far likely to, far less likely to be ultra critical with them or they'll they'll moderate what you do and uh, we had um oh who we had somebody on the show talking about that um a while ago and I've forgotten the the person's name Christine I think Christine Forgotten the last name. She was the one who came up with the, the name WordPress. She she actually could, um, named WordPress, but she was a oh, great right. wow. guest on the show. Um, yeah, to Anton, Anton's still here. He says, "Oh, thank you, Jason." And this is interesting. <laughs> you didn't tell me this. Um, disclaimer: Jason is is doing them in two languages. So tell us a bit yeah. more about that. Actually, that's a good point, and it's interesting because I do it in French. I'm, Bilingual. Um, my when when I started going out with my ex-wife, she said, "I'm not going to learn to speak English. So if you want to go out with me, you have to speak French." So I learned French for love, which is delightful. Um, so now I'm actually bilingual in the sense that I speak French without thinking in English and translating. It just comes out as though it was English. And me and my daughter used to play a game. Is that we'd what well, play a game? She played a game. Is that we'd watch a film, and at the end of the film, when the credits had finished, she would say, "What language was that in, Daddy?" And I usually couldn't tell her um, because the languages kind of were more or less the same in my brain. But 
I'm much more self-conscious about my French when I'm speaking on live video than I am about my English. And that's because I know that I'm not as good and I know that I've got an accent. And French people tell me, your accent's sweet. And I just think it's horrible. So mm. I, I have actually got a blocking point in my brain, which is my French accent when I'm speaking in French, although I have that bilingual side, I feel more uncomfortable and I would rather do a, a live show in English than in French. But it's great that you've kept on carrying on. And I speak to uh, quite a few people who... Uh, for example, their first language isn't English and they're doing live shows in English and they're very conscious of their accent. And often they're really the only people who are conscious of their accent. Everyone else, I mean, they can tell they've got an accent, but in most cases that, you know, their accent is, I mean, their, their English uh, accent is uh, is amazing. Um, and and yeah. so uh, I think it's often it's in, in our in our head and we just need to keep doing it. And it's all, it is, you know, going back to that server joke, you know, it is, honestly, it is about serving your audience. And if you're getting all worried about your accent, then uh, you're not serving your audience. And I suppose there may be some people who watch and they don't like your accent and they stop hmm. watching. Well, they were never your audience anyway, you know. <laughs> it is like kind of what other people see in you. Like when yeah. we were saying earlier on before the show, when you're dating, you, you think that they're looking at the thing that you hate the most about your own face or your own body. And in fact, they're looking at something totally different and you've got no idea what it is they're looking at or what they're kind of appreciating or not appreciating for that matter. And you've got to be really aware, once again, as you said, don't be selfish. It's not about you. It's about their perception of you. And with yeah. the language and accent thing, it's exactly the same thing. And the other thing, sorry, I was going to add to that because it occurred to me is when I learned to play the double bass, the the band said to me, do you want to be in the band? And I said, yeah, I want to be in the band. Great. Isn't that cool? I can be in a folk punk band. Uh, and I said, well, I'm a singer. And I said, we don't need a singer. I said, well, I can play a bit of guitar. I said, we don't need a guitar player. We need a double bass player. And I had to learn double bass in 30 days. And they said, if you can play well enough in 30 days, you're in the band and we've got a gig and you can play the gig. But if you're, if you're awful, we're not going to have you. And if you're good enough, you're in. And I had a German double bass teacher who, who gave me one lesson. And one of the things he said to me, when you make a mistake, stop thinking about it immediately. If you keep thinking about it, you're not going to get through the rest of the gig. And it's the same for live speaking. When you make a mistake, forget about it, keep going. And the other is when you make a mistake on the double bass, at least, there are two types of people in the audience. There are musicians and there are non-musicians. Non-musicians have no idea you just played a bum note. And the musicians, the jazz people, are going to think you've done something really clever and they're not going to dare to ask you about it because they're going to be ashamed that they hadn't thought of it themselves. So why would you care? There's only you who cares about it. I love that. I love that. That's that's the big advantage with jazz. You know, you can kind of get away with it with, with classical music. But interestingly, like when I when I did a gig and I was singing, you know, from music in front of an audience and I made a mistake, I learned very early on that it's all about how you deal with the mistake. So if you right. look confident... Most people, not, okay, there's the odd muso who will notice, but most people will not notice if you're confident and you keep going on. And I think when it comes to live video, if you do make a, like a really like, obvious mistake, then just laugh at yourself, you know? And I think that's the, mm. <laughs> the easiest way. You're listening to the Confident Live Marketing Podcast. Looks like it's time for something completely nutty. 
wanna boost my princeps, baby Get my knowledge panel on there The search engine results pages Need a lot of work, I tell ya Jason Bonner, Jason Bonner Jason Bonner, help us please Jason Bonner, Jason Bonner Jason Bonner, help us please I'm eager to delve into the world of SERPs. Now, so it sounds, sounds almost like a bit of a, I don't know, like a skin condition or a disease. Um, it does, it, it's S-E-R-P-S. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit more, what are, what are SERPs and why are they important? Right. Well, a, a SERP is a search engine results page. So it can be on Bing, it can be Google, it can be DuckDuckGo, uh, it can be Yahoo. And it's basically when you type in the query, the search query, the page of results that comes up is called a SERP, search engine results page. And what I've done is created a niche in the SEO industry. Now, the SEO industry are search engine optimization industry, and we are the people who help clients to optimize their content, their pages, their website, so that they appear at the top of the SERPs the search engine results page, when somebody searches for something relevant to our company with the idea then that Google, Bing, Yahoo, uh, DuckDuckGo send that person to our site and we get to interact with that person, perhaps add them to our mailing list, perhaps sell them something, uh, perhaps get a subscription from them and so on and so forth. Now, what I've done is focused in on one specific type of search and that's the searches for an exact match brand name. So if somebody searches for Facebook or Microsoft or CaliCube companies, or if they search for a person's name, such as Ian Anderson Gray, Jason Barnard, Anton Schulke, for example, or if they search for a podcast name, um, search engine journal show, Edge of the Web, uh, if they search for a music album, for example, my music album from the Barking Dogs the called Spasm, um, uh, or if they search for a band name, for that matter, The Barking Dogs or U2 or Bob Dylan or, oh, he's not a group, he's a person, sorry. Um, but th this idea that when somebody searches for something they already know about or they've heard of, what do they see? What does Google show them? And the big question there is, does Google show the representation of that brand, that person, that music group, that music album, or even that film or that podcast that the person, film, producer, company, whatever, wants Google to show, i.e., is it accurate, is it positive, and is it convincing to that audience who are people who already know about you? And if the answer is no, if it's not what you wanted, if it's not your brand message or your personal message or an accurate reflection of who you are, what you do, then you need to work on it to make sure that Google does show what you want it to show. And that's the interesting part of this niche is that it's up to you to get Google to show what you want it to show because Google wants to show an accurate reflection of you to your audience because it is your audience when they're searching your name on Google. Yeah, that's really interesting. So like for, you, for your name, and obviously it will depend on 
how popular your name is. And it's interesting, actually, the, the reason, one of the reasons why I use my middle name, Anderson, is because, you know, my first name's Ian, my last name's Gray, is Ian Gray. But the reason I use Ian Anderson Gray was, first of all, as a, a musician, and I joined Equity, mm-hmm. you need to have a you need to have a unique name. And there were lots of other Ian Greys around. So I used Anderson as my middle name. And and it's interestingly, when I was teaching at the Royal Northern College of Music, there was another Ian Gray. Uh, And uh, funnily enough, I actually got his pay once uh, by accident. Unfortunately, I I hope he was paid more than you and not less. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I had to, unfortunately, had to pay it back, unfortunately. But when it comes to, to SERPs, that's been a big advantage because there aren't any other, there is an Ian Anderson, obviously from Jethro Tull, but uh, there aren't any other Ian Anderson Grace. And so that's, that's easier for me, but for some other people who've got very kind of more common names, that's much more difficult. But then within that, you then need to think, well, do I really want my Twitter result? If you're very famous, do I really want my Wikipedia result to be number one? Can you just um, tell us a little bit more about some of those things? What if you've got a, m- a more kind of common name or, you know, how do we um, think about what's going to be our most important result? Right. Well, I mean, if you've got a more common name, uh, you've got multiple choices, one of which is to what you did is add a middle name or add a middle initial and start calling yourself that and get communicating on it. So people now, understand, I would never search for Ian Gray if I was looking for you. I would search for Ian Anderson Gray. So that's one solution. Another solution is to hook yourself onto what you do. So, for example, Simon Cox, incredibly common name, great friend of mine, big bushy beard that I'm very jealous of, um, or envious rather than jealous. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's now pitching for, because there's a Simon Cox who's a cricketer and a footballer, he's pitching for Simon Cox SEL. Um, so you, you, you need to get your audience to search for something that makes you less ambiguous because that problem of ambiguity is that Google will think, well, which Simon Cox, which Ian Gray do you mean? And it will try to show you the choice of the ones that it's understood the best. So if you've got an incredibly common name, that's going to be a fairly messy search engine results page. Um, so... One, one thing from that perspective for people, there is a major problem in that people's names tend to be replicated. What Google will do is if somebody's in the UK searching for Ian Gray, they would be more likely to show you than if you're in the US where you're not as present as you are in the UK, I would guess. I'm, I'm obviously not 100% sure, uh, or South Africa, let's say. So what it will do is adapt who it's showing according to the geolocality of the searcher. And one good example of that was Mary Moore. And in the US, it shows actresses, including Mary Tyler Moore, because it thinks you're looking for Mary Tyler Moore, who's incredibly famous. So sometimes it will add a middle name or an extra bit because it thinks that might be what you're looking for. In the UK, it was, uh, I can't remember, uh, a sculptor's daughter. Not sure whose it was. Um, and in uh, Australia, it's a judge. So what it does is it will specifically show very different results across different regions. And if you've got a common name, the first thing to do is to focus on your hometown, then your home county or your home state, then the country, and then think about where do I really need to be present for my audience? And if you're not present in America and you live in the UK, don't worry about it. Yeah, I think that's good advice. It depends where is your audience. Uh, for me, it definitely, I do want to be 
I suppose it, mostly worldwide, but particularly UK, North America, Europe, and Australia, New Zealand. And but we, you need to. That obviously makes it more difficult to to have that presence all around the world, depending on your name. Right. How do we? It used to be the case. Now I remember stumbling across this website called Google back in the late 90s and being very excited about it. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but in those days, when you searched for something, it was, if I searched for something, I would get the same results as if somebody else was searching for it in in, the, yeah. in this country and probably the same in the US. It wasn't personalized and it wasn't, uh, there wasn't a difference in, in, in terms of where you were lo- located. These days, our results are change, our, our SERPs change depending on our location on, and a lot of other things. How do we find, how do I find out what my search results are in America? If, if I'm based in the UK, how do I know? Right, well, there's um, a lovely little plugin called GS Locator that fakes your location for Google. So you, you, there are multiple choices. Number one, a lot of people say, oh, I need a VPN, a virtual private network, which allows me to connect to Google through America, for example, uh, that can be, you know, you would have to pay for that and it can be a little bit slow. There's a Chrome plugin called GS Locator that I use a lot. Uh, that was Andy Simpson who recommended that to me. And it allows you to fake your location to anywhere in the world to the tiniest little degree. And it will show you those results just on Google. And that's incredibly useful. And I've built a platform called CaliCube Pro where, in fact, we track brand search. We track what appears when somebody searches your name. And you can choose five different locations, either in your country, different towns, or in the world, and track what's actually appearing. And those are neutral results, which is interesting too, because you made that point is that my results on Chrome when I'm logged into Google will be slightly different to if I'm using um, uh, an incognito window or if somebody else is searching. And one thing I would suggest is that don't get overexcited, not you personally, obviously, but in general, about the idea that Google's incredibly personalizing each and every result right now. That isn't really the case. It's personalizing some aspects, but not a great deal, not something incredibly significant. That may well change over time. They're talking about what they call the topic layer, which I won't go into. But it would seem that they're moving towards more and more of a personalized search. But right now, it's not as uh, impactful as some people uh, would have us believe. That's really interesting. Yeah, because uh, it, it is it does feel like the it's quite a radical change. But what, from what you're saying, it's not. Calicube Pro is that? Just tell us a bit more about that and how, how do you spell it so that if people want to find out more about it. Now, if I can spell it, I think it's K A L I C U B E, and then a space and then P R O, and it's it's a platform that I've built because. Um, Tracking knowledge panels and brand SERPs is quite difficult. So we, I built the tool to track. I track 70,000 brands, people, and um, films and podcasts and music albums. And we track them. We measure them so that people can see over time how it's changed by geo region. So they've got historical and geo information. And we can score how well they're doing, how they're improving. And we can provide tasks to help people improve what it is that appears when somebody Googles their brand name or their personal name or their podcast name. Um, Because a lot of the actions that need to be taken are very low-level, simple SEO. Mm. So pretty accessible to everybody as long as we explain it correctly. And for an SEO expert, it's incredibly easy because it's relatively simple techniques 
from the search engine optimization community, uh, with the exception that it's simply the priorities are very different, which is kind of, I won't go into that detail, but the thing about brand SERPs is in SEO traditionally, links count for an awful amount, a, a lot, and site speed counts for, an, uh, for a lot. In the world of brand SERPs, because Google's trying to represent your brand to your audience in an authentic and honest manner, the number of inbound links to your web page don't matter so much. The web speed, the page speed, sorry, doesn't matter so much. So it's a change of priorities uh, in terms of what you would normally expect for normal SEO. Really interesting. We're talking about brand SERPs and, and SEO and all that kind of beautiful stuff. Now, I'm going to probably embarrass myself here uh, because I'm going to try and define what SEO is. And then I want you to tell me, Jason, uh, where I'm wrong. And because uh, because I think SEO kind of has developed a lot over the years. Um, mm. Having said that, I did get phoned up by somebody who said, uh, excuse me, uh, do, do, you, do you do that SEO stuff? And uh, that can make me feel a little bit better. Uh, so SEO stands for search engine optimization. And I think when you've got a website, uh, if you want to be higher up on Google for certain keywords, it, it is a lot, or it used to be at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, about uh, the number of links to your website, um, but the quality of the link was obviously more important. So if, if the likes of the BBC or like a very highly ranked website was to link to yours, that would bump your rating up a little bit more. But not only that, it was it's also to do with the relevancy, if that's a word, of it. So if, I, if I'm a, a live video expert and my website's all about that and a, a plumbing website linked to my website, it might be an amazingly uh, uh, highly ranked website, but it's not very relevant. So yeah, it, it's a lot to do with the links and obviously to do with the keywords on the page. But right. is, is that is that a good is that a good definition? Where have I gone wrong with that? And how have things changed in recent years? You haven't gone wrong at all. Um, as as you said, it, it's about Google has traditionally up until about four or five years ago, it's been about counting links and counting words in the page. And that was it. It said, if it's got lots of links coming to it and the number of times the word appears seems to me to be uh, make the page relevant to the user's query, then that's a good page and we'll rank it. Um, the only thing that you said that was slightly misleading was that before um, the relevancy, they couldn't really measure it very well. So mm. it didn't count for very much because they couldn't rely on their measurement of it. But that changed recently and it's actually quite relatively recently. And they now say... If the site is not relevant to your site, the site that's linking to you isn't relevant to your site, we simply discount the link. So at one point, you could actually rank just by the pure number of links and the correct balance of the word that somebody searched for in your page. Now, uh, that's already very, um, very much in the past. And now it's much more about satisfying Google's user. And if you look at it from that perspective, SEO becomes much, much more approachable and much easier because what you're trying to do is get Google to recommend you as the best solution to its user. So I define SEO as the art and science of convincing search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing to recommend your solution as being the best solution for their user in the circumstances that user finds themselves. Mm. So whatever they're looking for, they're looking for an answer to a question or a solution to a problem. You're asking these search engines to recommend your solution or your answer 
to their user. Interesting. So yeah, it's it's kind of I've said this a lot. Write content for humans, not mm. robots, and I think that's important. <laughs> uh, so that's that's really that's good. I'm I'm glad I wasn't so far out. And it's interesting about the relevancy thing because I didn't realize that was a. a a fairly new thing and of course then there are other factors that we could go into like speed of the website and i don't know the domain name and domain name age and all this kind of stuff but the i think all the stuff that we talked about is the really important stuff so okay so we've got our own website we can control the text on that page and we can do all that co stuff all the seo Mm. stuff um when it comes to other websites like i don't know twitter or uh facebook or you know or youtube it's maybe a little bit more difficult to do that but my question to you is this how do we optimize our search results i know this is a huge question you've mentioned some uh, some cool tools and we love tools but what you know have you got any um tools tips techniques you know what can we do to get started in the whole realm of serps optimization if that's the right phrase to use well yeah i mean in my case it's brand serps it's very specifically what appears when somebody searches your name or your personal name or your podcast or your music album or music group whatever it might be um, because you're addressing your audience and google is trying to show your audience what it feels is the most representative of you that will be helpful and valuable to your audience. And remember that your audience is a subset of Google's users. It's the subset of Google's users who are actually searching for you, who know who you are. So obviously Google wants to represent you honestly. Uh, So I'm actually writing a book now, which is The Fundamentals of Brand SERPs, which will be a real entry level book. Um, I got some help from somebody who doesn't understand anything about it, who's helping me to write the book and tells me when I get it too confusing. And she she's brilliant. And she's really kind of brought me back down to earth of, of not geeking out and not kind of using these terms that people simply don't understand. Uh, so that's kind of the entry level thing. And it's actually incredibly simple. The first chapter is look at your homepage. The homepage of your website is most likely what will rank if you're a company. And if you're a person, it's the most probable, if you've got a personal website, that that will rank number one. If it's if you don't have a personal website, it could be the About You page on your company profile, on your company website, excuse me. But look at those first. Look at what appears. The blue link and the little snippet underneath, the little description. Does that represent me? If it doesn't, as you said earlier on, I can change it. I can just go in and change it. It takes two minutes. And Google will not always show what I've changed it to in the meta title, meta description, or the content, which are slightly geeky terms. But if you've got WordPress and you use Yoast, it's really easy to change the meta title, which is the title you're suggesting Google should use in the results. And the meta description is the description you're suggesting it should use in the results too. You can just change them. And then whatever appears after that, you can then go in and say, right, which part of the page is it taking? If it hasn't taken my suggestion, you can change that so that it represents you better. So that's an incredibly easy way to go about improving the very top, the thing that people see the most um, and is the most visible to them. Uh, And then start looking at other pages for companies. You'll be looking at the the About Us page, the Contact Us page, the blog page. landing page, potentially product pages or category pages, because they will appear as site links underneath, extra blue links for you there. So you would want to optimize those so they represent you properly if you have them. I call them rich site links. And then as you move down, you said, you know, 
Twitter, Facebook, you have semi-control. I mean, I, I, in the book, I, call, I talk about partial control, and we go through all the steps about how to improve that partial control because obviously the platforms themselves control the details, but you can immediately see which parts you can control and you will immediately see 90% of the people who search their brand name or their personal name will see both that the homepage doesn't represent them as they wish. And secondly, the social profile rankings don't represent them as they wish. So those are two really easy ways in. Uh, and then it gets more kind of not complicated, but more um, time consuming, slightly more difficult, slightly more roundabout, is that you have to talk to third party sites, people who have written articles about you, or um, third party platforms that, that have information about you that you need to contact and you can talk to them. They're people. And that's what we often forget is behind every web page is a person at some level. And we can talk to them and we can um, exchange with them and, and try to try to get satisfaction for everybody. Mm. You know, if you can help them win, they'll help you win. I think it's so important. Uh, and I think, yeah, treating those people like humans is so important that I can't tell you the number of automated emails I, I mm. get who are from, from people who are wanting me to up, up, add their link into my blog posts. And it just doesn't work because I get so many of them and they, they're, they're not interested in me, they don't care about me. So build those relationships. Now, you mentioned a couple of things I just want to unpack. You mentioned Yoast. Now, for, for some people who haven't heard of that, that's a WordPress plugin. So if your website runs with WordPress, and I think pretty much like a third of the the world's websites are run on WordPress. We've uh, had yeah. a lot of uh, kind of WordPress pe uh, people on the show. We've had uh, Christine Tremolo is, is her name, I think, uh, who uh, came up with the name WordPress on, on the show. And actually oh, yeah. in, in my city of Manchester is one of the co-founders of WordPress, uh, Mike Little. Um, Come on. So yeah, we, we love WordPress. No, but Yoast is a plugin um, uh, for SEO. Would you, so first of all, do you still recommend that people use that? There are a few other kind of other plugins out there. Is that, is that a good thing if you've got a WordPress website? Um, I like what Yoast a lot because it, when you install it, it does a lot of things behind the scenes out of the box that you don't even yeah. have to worry about. And I think that's phenomenally powerful. And they really have taken the approach to say, we can do a lot of things without having to ask you. So they, they don't do anything dangerous or sneaky. They, they just set up the basic things that Google needs to access your site, to understand the structure of your site, understand which pages are where and what they do. And also there's a guy called Jono Alderson who works for them, who's an absolute genius, uh, who's added schema markup, which is very geeky, but you don't need to know about it because it will add that basic schema markup, which is machine readable representations of the content of the page, basically representing the page in Google's native language behind the scenes once again. And so I like the way they've moved forward with that and taken a lot of the weight off our shoulders as uh, website owners and even SEOs, and then giving us access to change things that we want to. So if you know a little bit about it, you can go in and you can you can tweak things around a little bit. And one of the things I mentioned earlier on is the title you suggest to Google for the search engine results page and the description you suggest to it. You can go in and very easily on each and every page personalize it um, to mm. make to make it really represent what you think Google should be showing for that page because Yoast will give you um, uh, a suggestion right out of the box that it will show to Google, which is already better than what Google would have otherwise. 
but you can take it a step further. So Yoast is taking you to level four, and then you can move up to level five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, depending on your enthusiasm, your time, and your skill set. That's great to know. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Yoast. I, I use it on all my websites, all our clients' websites. And I've, I've actually, it's, it's a free plugin, but you can't, there is a paid version. I use the paid yeah. version on, on my website and I, and I love it. I, I think you're right. It's it's out of the box. It's just really easy to use. But if you if you want to be a bit geeky, you can open up the lid and, and you know, delve in and, yeah. and do some stuff. And yeah, you don't need to worry about any of this kind of schema markup stuff. Um, it just does it for you. Now, the other so the other thing that you mentioned were, and I can't remember, were they called site links? So often you'll have, for, so looking right. at my search results here, I've got for Ian Anson Gray, I've got my website is is number one. I've got, it's got the homepage and then underneath it's got about and blog, which are kind of slightly indented. Yeah. I spe- are those, are those, those site links? And yeah. how do we, for, last time I looked at it, it looked like I couldn't really control that, but I could suggest things. Tell us a bit more about how, what we can do about that. Right. Well, you can't control them. You can't even, yeah. you can't ask Google to add them. Oh, you, you can't, can't do ask that. it. No, you can't tell it not to either. You used to be able to, but they've taken that away. Right. So what you have to do, and every everything about the brand, sir, pretty much, is you working to, and this is the thing I think is phenomenally important, we're educating Google. Google isn't this, from this perspective at least, it's not this big nasty machine that we're fighting with. It's a child that we're educating, and we're educating it to who we are, what we do, and who our audience is. And the trick of everything in SEO, but starting with the brand set, which is why I say when you want to do SEO, build from the brand set outwards. Because if the brand set is right, it's understood who you are, what you do, and who your audience is. And that's always going to increase your chances of being shown as the most suitable solution to its users' problems when they search on Google. But beyond that, with, with the whole thing is you look at those site links, now it's showing two of them. It's showing the links to the pages on the site that it thinks are interesting for your users, your audience, sorry. Now, if that's not the case, it means Google's misunderstood. And if Google's misunderstood, it's not because it's stupid. It's like a child. It just doesn't know. Your job is to educate it. And there are lots of techniques for that, um, including site structure, the way you build your site, the, the different way you put the different pages. You need to group pages by topic and theme. Um, another thing is schema market, which is geeky, and that would require a little bit of uh, extra effort, um, which is something that, for example, the CaliCube Pro platform does, but the book would not explain to you. Um, and just to point out, in the middle there, you've got, you've got a set of courses for intermediate people who know enough about SEO to be dangerous, and just to keep them on track, not to be dangerous in their brand SERP. And then you've got beginner, book, intermediate, courses, advanced platform. Um, and that's the way we're working at CaliCube Pro is to, uh, is to enable everybody, empower everybody. Because from my perspective, it's phenomenally important that we manage that message that Google is shooting out to our audience when they search for us on Google, which they all do at some point in their journey. Yeah. So everyone's going to see it at some point. So you really need to pay attention. And those rich site links, um, if you just look at it from the perspective is Google thinks that this is important and helpful to your audience, the subset of its users who are your audience. If it's got it wrong, you need to re-educate it. Mm. Yeah, makes makes sense. Uh, 
thank you so much for all of that. And if you want to find out more about uh, the book and the courses, I presumably, is it Calicube? Is, is, is it your website is the best place to go to? Yeah, there's calicube.com, which mm. is the company website, calicube.pro, which is the platform. Um, and we, we actually run, um, I, I spend my whole life just running experiments on brand SERPs to try and mm. figure out what affects what. And one of them we were talking about, the, the live streaming aspect. I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask you oh, about sorry. that. Yeah. So, well, actually, <laughs> before we get onto that, there was just one other quick question because I'm, I'm really uh, interested in your experiments on this. And we, by the way, we'll, we'll go over Jason's websites and how you can find out more about him in, in, a, in a bit. But uh, the, the other thing, we've talked about those site links, but the other thing, I'm feeling, I'm feeling very kind of sad here, Jason, because I searched for your name and you've got a nice little box on the right. It's got, in your, it's got your photo. It's got lots of all these nice things. And I, I searched for my name and it's not there. No. <laughs> so what's going on? I'm sure it was at one point. This is called the whole, uh, this is called knowledge, uh, knowledge box. Is that the right word? No, knowledge panel, yeah. Knowledge panel. That's the one. So tell us more about the knowledge panel and how can we get one? Right. Well, the knowledge panel, Google's aim here is to summarize the brand, the uh, company, the person, the podcast, the music album, the music group, whatever it might be. And it's a summary. And the idea is what it's done is it's pulled information from different sources around the web and summarized who you are, what you do, and who your audience might be in that little box so that the user doesn't have to navigate to all these sites and collect the information themselves. So if you, if you look at it that way, it's Google's understanding of who you are, what you do, and who your audience is. And if we come back to that again, if it's not there or it's very small with very little information, it hasn't really understood. And you need to, once again, educate it. So the idea of getting a knowledge panel and managing a knowledge panel is all about educating this child and educating a child is, we all know, a very simple process is you explain the facts as the parent. So we're the parent, Google's the child, we're the responsible adult in the room. We explain it to this child. The child then goes and asks grandma, then goes and asks the head teacher, then goes and asks the baker. And if all of those people say the same thing in the same way, the child will believe it. That's mm. when you're going to get your knowledge panel because the child has been informed by the parent, the most trusted person, then it's been confirmed by all these other people who the child also trusts. So they're all authorities on this topic. And the topic is you, obviously, because you're informing Google about who you are, what you're doing, who your audience is. And if you can get that, you'll get a knowledge panel, or you'll at least be understood by Google. And then the question is, a lot of people ask me, do I have to be, for example, have a Wikipedia page? Do I have to be famous? The answer is no. Wikipedia and Wikidata have notability guidelines. You have to be notable. People would have, for Wikipedia at least, the idea is people would search for you um, uh, without you prompting them. I can't remember what the word for that is now. Um, not instinctively. Anyway, uh, people would search for you, whereas Google's just saying, I actually don't care if you're famous. I just want to understand. So it's a child with an immense capacity for learning, i.e. it can learn everything and remember everything, and an incredible thirst for learning because it really wants to understand. Because today, you were talking about links and texts on pages. Google doesn't function like that anymore. It function, functions on its understanding of the world. So the, its understanding of you is fundamentally important 
to everything else that goes on in the rest of your SEO strategy. So if you don't have a knowledge panel, you really do want one. We do. We do want so. So that's been so helpful. Martin Buckland is here. Great to see you, Martin. Oh my, so much shared. Thanks so much. Uh, and this is really valuable stuff. And uh, I'm kind of, I am, I'm starting to think like, why, why is it taking so long to, to bring you onto the show? So thank you, Jason. It's been great. Now I want to, just before we finish, we are running out of time, but I do want to hear about your experiments when it comes to live video, because some people yeah. might be asking, well, Ian, this is great. I'm really interested in what Jason's saying here, but why are we talking about brand SERPs on a show about live video? Where, do, where does live video fit into all of this? And tell us about your experiments in this world. Right. Well, it, it, it's a really nice way to end the show, I think, because we've talked about the blue links, your homepage, your social profiles, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, and so on and so forth. And we've talked about the knowledge panel, the summary of who you are, what you're doing, who your audience is, that Google shows your audience. We haven't talked about what I call the rich elements which other people call search SERP features, sorry. Um, and those are the new elements that are maybe five, six years old, such as video carousels, video boxes, uh, image carousels, Twitter boxes. It's those big, rich things. If you search for William Shatner, you will see boatloads, news stories, Twitter feeds, videos, uh, YouTube feeds, all sorts of stuff. And that's the point is... The first step of your brand SERP is to get it to be accurate, positive, and convincing in that basic the kind of set of blue link results, just the textual results that you see, and that knowledge panel. The big one is to make it look incredibly impressive, and that's having things like the Twitter boxes. If you search my name, Jason Barnard, you'll see Twitter boxes near the top, and that's my Twitter feed going into Google and showing in real time in Google search when you search my brand name. So if I tweet within 17 seconds, that latest tweet appears when you search my name. That's a great way to show your audience that you're interacting with them. And then you've got image boxes and now video boxes, which is what we're talking about, is that live video stream to YouTube or in, indeed any other platform, YouTube dominates about 80%, but there's still 20% for Twitter, Facebook, and your own site, is that if you're streaming content that your audience finds valuable and helpful and they're engaging with that content and Google can see that engagement, it will show those videos when people search your brand name or your personal name. And that makes you look incredibly cool and impressive to your audience. And to finish this little kind of section off, I mentioned Twitter boxes, which is a live feed that feeds directly into your brand SERP in real time and looks impressive. They've just introduced a YouTube feed, which is the same thing. So if you've got a strong YouTube channel, your YouTube channel will feed directly into your brand SERP. And once again, you look really great. And your audience knows that you have valuable videos that they can watch to learn about you and your topic and what you can do for them. Mm. I, I, this is exciting stuff. Yeah, I can see. I've, I've got Twitter. I, I might not have a knowledge panel, but I've got Twitter boxes. Um, yep. But then I've looked at your, so this whole comparing thing, I'm just, I've, I tell all my audience um, not to compare yourself with others, but that's exactly <laughs> why I'm doing it. But but this is, it's, 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 it, I think it's about learning and inspiring and getting inspired. Um, but I can see on yours, you've, you've, there's also a podcast box, which I haven't yep. seen before. So, so there's YouTube boxes, there's podcast boxes, Twitter boxes, 
and knowledge panels. This has been so, so interesting. Um, so you've thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the show and telling us uh, all about this. Uh, how can we find out more about you? You've got, I mean, you've got uh, your website, which is jasonbarnard.com. That's kind of your your main website you've got yep. uh, so what have you got on there you've got uh have you got a blog and podcast and stuff and, and tell us more about how we can find out about about you right well I, I always say if you want to learn about me search for jason barnard on google and you can find how you want to connect with me and i think that's an important aspect of this is that what if you search my name i've been working on this for five or six years so you know i've managed i've had the time to get it right um you, you know you can visit my website and find out about me you can visit my Twitter feed, follow me and interact with me on Twitter if you prefer Twitter. Uh, you can go to the YouTube. You can you can comment on the videos. You can get, get involved in my channel. Um, and there's also LinkedIn up there. And there's also my company, calicube.com. There's also Search Engine Journal, uh, SEMrush potentially, and these where you can read my articles. So the idea for me for the brand SERP is that you read it and you decide how you want to interact with me. That's great. Just do that. Search for Jason Barnard on Google and you're, you're all sorted. So, well, thank you so much, Jason. It's been great to have you on the show. Uh, you'll have to come back because I'm, I'm, there's probably so much more we could talk about. And yeah. uh, do you know, when is, when is the book likely to come out? I mean, I know you're in the middle of it and that's probably the worst question to ask you, but just interested um, when we can keep our eyes out for that. Right. Well, I'm, I'm kind of a determined person and I tend to really push through and make things happen when I really want them to happen. Um, so I'm expecting it to be released late, the end of very end of November, uh, at worst, mid-December. Oh, great Christmas present. Well, there you go. And actually, this podcast <laughs> comes out at the beginning of January. So if you're listening to the podcast, the likelihood is... Oh, it'll be already out. It's already out. So you can find out. Just go to your favourite bookstore or just, of course, search for Jason Barnard on Google and you'll find it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so Brilliant. much, Jason. It's been great to have you on the show. But that is it for this week. And I just want to encourage you to level up your impact, authority and profits through the power of Confident Live Video. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Confident Live Marketing Podcast with Ian Anderson Gray. Make sure you subscribe at iag.me forward slash podcast so you can continue to level up your impact, authority and profits through the power of live video. And until next time, toodaloo. My brand steps, baby. Get the knowledge panel on there. Search engine results pages. Need a lot of work, I tell ya. Jason Barnard, Jason Barnard, Jason Barnard, help us please. Jason Barnard, Jason Barnard, Jason Barnard, help us please.